If you have your Bible, you can turn with me to the book of Leviticus, uh, chapter 4. Leviticus chapter 4. This mic is not working, Brother Mark. Do we have another one? Or, oh, well. I'll switch it. Uh, so, oh. Okay. Okay. How about now? Off. Okay, good. That works. Well, not really. Anyways, I don't need it. Anyways, let's... Uh, <laughs> Now we're going to work. All right, so um, we have been talking about what so far? Anybody remembers? Shadows of Golgotha, kind of, yeah, in the tabernacle. This is our week 19. So I really hope at least by now you got that title of what we've been talking about. Amen. <laughs> so we have arrived to the book of Leviticus, and we have been talking about the sacrifices of the Old Testament as a shadow of a type of the cross of Christ. Um, this will be week number five, right? We spent two weeks talking about the burned offering, and then one week talking about the meal offering, and then last week we talked about the peace offering, and then today we're going to start talking about the sin offering, and then next week we have the trespass offering. Amen? And we say that every one of these sacrifices look at the cross of Christ from, uh, I love that picture, good. Uh, look at the cross of Jesus from a different perspective. What we have said so far, let me just recap. Hopefully you remember with me that we uh, so far discussed three sacrifices and the common theme in these sacrifices is that they are a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. So they look at Jesus' life and death as something that is pleasing to God, that has nothing to do with how we deal with sin or how a holy God and a, and a sinful man can come together. This is purely something that is pleasing to God. The burned offering represents Jesus who died on the cross just to be obedient to the Father, just so that the Father can be pleased, right? The, the meal offering, right, we talked about that as the life of Christ, how he lived the perfect sinless life, and he glorified God in everything he said, right? He said, I always please God, right? That's what he said in, John, in the book of John. And then we spoke about the peace offering, right, last, last um, week, and that is Jesus who died on the cross as a sweet-smelling aroma to the Father, and the byproduct of that is peace was established between holy God and sinful man. Amen? So we leave now that the, the sacrifices that talks about Jesus being the sweet-smelling aroma to the Father, and we're going to talk about sacrifices that deals with how a, a holy God and a sinful man can have a relation together. Amen? That will be this week and next week. This week, we're going to talk about the sin offering, and next week, we're going to talk about the trespass offering. And when I was just reading this and trying to study Leviticus chapter 4, the sin offering, it was insane to me how this one chapter is so foundational to a lot of our theology in the New Testament. I want to show you right now how almost every um, turn, every event, every detail in that sacrifice is absolutely foundational in our understanding of who Jesus is and what he has done for us on the cross. So you ready? Okay, so that's Leviticus chapter 4. I'm going to read from verse 1. 
Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a person sins, what? Unintentionally against any of my commandments, uh, against any of the commandments of the Lord, in anything which he ought not to be done, and does any of them, if the anointed priest sins, so that's the first person, if, that, if, if it was the priest, then he must bring the, uh, bringing guilt on the people, then let him offer to the Lord for his sin, which he has sinned, a what? A young bull. So the priest bring a young bull without blemish as a sin offering. He shall bring the bull to the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord, lay his hand on the bull's head, and kill the bull before the Lord. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of meeting. You guys follow that part? Yeah. So after the bull is killed, the priest may, may not necessarily be the one who sinned. The priest who's performing the, the, the sacrifice, the, the ceremony, takes some of the blood and goes where? Into the, into the building. Remember, this is the tabernacle of meeting, right? If you remember what we talked about, the white fence, that is the, the fence for the tabernacle, and that's the yard. And the door is from the east. You go in. First thing is the altar of, of uh, the, the brazen altar. That's the burning altar. And then you go after that. You see the laver. That's where you wash your hands and feet. And then after that, you go into the building. That is the first room is called the holy place. And the second room called the Holy of Holies, and they're separated by that veil, right? We talked about that before. So after they kill the bull at the entrance of the tabernacle, the priest takes some of the blood and go inside the holy place. That's pretty new, right? We have not seen in any of the sacrifices before that the blood goes into the holy place, but we see it here. So um, verse 5, Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and bring it to the tabernacle of of, of meeting, the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of the blood seven times before the Lord in front of the veil of the sanctuary, and the priest shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of which altar? Sweet incense. This is not the burned altar. This is the altar of the sweet incense, okay? So he should put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of the sweet incense before the Lord, which is where? In. Not the outside altar, the inside altar, which is in the tabernacle of meeting. And he shall pour the remaining of the blood of the bull at the base of the altar of the burned offering. Where is that? That's outside. You guys follow the rituals, okay? Which is at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So you guys follow how it works. They kill the bull, and after they kill the bull at the door, the very east side here, the priest takes some of the blood, but doesn't go into the Holy of Holies, right? Yeah. They only go to the holy place. The Holy of Holies is reserved for the high priest only, one time a year on the Day of Atonement, right? But throughout the year, any day, the priest can go inside the holy place. But again, they don't go inside without blood. They have to have blood when they go inside with the blood from the sin offering, right? And if you look inside the holy place, there is three pieces of furniture there. The very top one over there on, uh, up north called the, tab the table of the presence. That's the showbread table. The bottom one called the lampstand. But do you see before the veil, there is another altar called the altar of incense, right? Do you see that? So, so far there's two altars in the tabernacle. The first altar is the 
burnt offering, the brazen altar, and then there's another altar where they burn incense right before the veil in the holy place. Okay? You follow me? So the priest killed the bull, take the blood, some of the blood, and he goes inside, and he sprinkles it seven times before the veil that separates the holy place from the holy of holies. And then they put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of incense inside the holy place, right? And then they take the rest of the blood, they go back out, and they pour it where? At the base of the burned altar at the yard by the door of the tabernacle. You guys follow the ritual so far? Yeah. All right. I think it's verse 8 now. Then he takes the fat, um, then he, he shall take from it all the fat of the bull as uh, of the bull. I'm sorry, I'm, I think I have bad astigmatism. Okay, verse 8. He shall take from it, uh, from it all the fat of the bull as the sin offering, the fat that covers the entails and all the fat which is on the entails, the two kidneys and the fat um, that is on them by the flakes and the fatty loop attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove as it was taken from the bull of the sacrifice of the peace offering. Remember that? We talked about that last week. So that part is similar between the peace offering that we talked about last week and the sin offering that we're talking about this week. And the priest shall burn them on the altar of the burned offering. You guys see that? That's outside by the door. Verse 11. But the bull's hide and all its flesh with all its head and legs, his entails, um, his, its entails and oval, oval, the whole bull he shall carry outside, where? Outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn it on wood with fire where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. You guys follow that? So do you see the contrast so far? The massive, massive, massive contrast between the burned offering and the sin offering? What is the difference? That's a big one right here. The burned offering... They burn the whole thing on the altar, right? They take the whole thing, the whole sacrifice, chop it in pieces, put it on the altar, burn the whole thing to God as a sweet-smelling aroma, right? In the, in, in the sin offering, they don't do that. They only take the fat from inside the bowl, they burn that on the altar, and then they take everything else in the bowl, everything else. They take it where? Outside the camp. Not even where the people live, just way outside, and then they burn that whole bowl before the Lord over there. I think in some parts the priests in, in chapter 6, uh, not here, but in some parts we'll see that the priest can have some of the meat from the sin offering. But for the most part, the whole thing is being burned out, but not on the altar, but outside the camp. You guys follow me? All right. And then um, we have verse 12. The whole bowl he shall carry outside the camp to a clean place where, uh, where the ashes are poured out, and he burned on wood with fire. Where the ashes are poured out, it shall be burned. Verse 13. Uh, now, if the whole congregation of, the Israel, of, uh, of Israel has sinned and intentionally, so, so far from verse 1 to 12, we're talking about the priest. When the priest sin, what is the ritual associated with that, right? And these rituals are pretty standard. It doesn't matter... Who sins or what kind of sacrifice is the exact same standard rituals. So I'm just going to point out the differences as we go forward till the end of that chapter. Okay, so verse 13. If the whole congregation of Israel sin unintentionally, then the assembly shall offer a young bull for the <coughs> sin. So if the priest sin, he bring a young bull. If the whole congregation as a nation, they didn't 
obey one of God's commandments as a nation, then they also bring a young bull just like the priest, okay? Verse 22, when a ruler has sinned, now, you know, this is somebody, uh, a leader in that church, an elder or a leader in the church, uh, and has done something unintentionally, he shall bring as his offering a kid of goats, a male without blemish. You guys see that? Now, if it's a leader, he brings not a bull, but he brings a, a kid of the goats, right? A male without blemish. Verse 27, if any one of the common people sin unintentionally. Now, if anybody sin unintentionally, that's not a leader, not a priest, not the whole congregation, uh, then he shall bring as his offering a kid of the goat, just like the, the, or the ruler, the leader, a female without blemish. And then if you skip to verse uh, 31, he shall remove its fat. This is... Uh, different. That's why I wanted to point that out. If, if one of the people sin, they bring the goat, and he shall remove all its fat, and the fat that is removed from the sacrifice um, of the peace offering, and the priest shall burn it, he shall remove all its fat as, fat, as fat is removed from the sacrifice of the peace offering, okay? And the priest shall burn it on the altar for a sweet, sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. I just wanted to point that out, because that's an exception to the rule, right? Um, usually these sacrifices is not a sweet-smelling aroma. Um, that's the only, I found that exception. I just want to point it out. But I would say the general rule stands, maybe one exception. I don't understand it, but, you know, it's there. I want to point it out. Verse 32, if he brings one of the common people a lamb as his sin offering. So he can either bring a young goat or he can bring a lamb as the sin offering. Uh, he shall bring a female without blemish. So if he brings a, a goat, it has to be a male without blemish. If he brings a, a, a lamb, it can be a female without blemish. So that's pretty much the, the, that's, that's the Leviticus chapter 4. That's the summary of that sin uh, offering and how it works and the ritual associated with it. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to show you how almost every single detail in this Offering is extremely foundational and essential to our understanding of, of, of the whole gospel in the New Testament, right? So let's look into that. The number one thing we learned that we're going to see that in the New Testament as well is that God will judge sin, right? In verse 1, 13, 22, and 27, God says, if somebody sins, what? Unintentionally. They don't mean to sin. If they sin, but without realizing they're doing something wrong, and later on they found out, oops, we did something wrong. Like, for example, God said, give me the tithe. And you miscalculated, and you didn't give God the full tithe. And then a couple of weeks later, you're recalculating your money, and oops, we didn't give God what we're supposed to do. This is unintentional sin, right? Like manslaughter, but not killing, you know? If you unintentionally do something wrong, then there is a sacrifice for you in the Old Testament. But what if you sin intentionally in the Old Testament? Guess what? You're out of luck. There is no sacrifice for you. Because the sacrificial system in the Old Testament is meant only for unintentional sins. Look at that. Hebrews 9.7. The author of Hebrews gave us the exact same thing. Hebrews 9.7. But only the high priest, now he's talking about getting into the Holy of Holies, but only the high priest entered the inner room, the Holy of Holies, and, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins that people have committed in intention, right? In ignorance, 
It's only that the sins have been committed in ignorance that there is an atonement for it, that there is a sacrifice for it. In the Old Testament, if you sin and you mean to sin, if you intentionally disobey the law of God, you are absolutely out of luck. There is no sacrifice for you. Isn't that crazy? I'm glad we're in the New Testament. Amen? Well, we find another allusion to that in, in, in Hebrews 10, 26. Here is what the author of Hebrews said. He said, if we sin, what? Deliberately or willfully or keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, what's going to happen? There is no sacrifice of sin left. If you sin when you mean it, that's rejecting Christ. There is no redemption for you anymore, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. And in order for the author of Hebrews to emphasize his point that if you sin willingly, there is no sacrifice for you, he drew, took us back to the, the law of Moses. And he said this, if anyone who rejects the law of Moses sins, again, the context here is you sin what? Purposefully, intentionally, right? So he's saying, just like in the Old Testament, if you reject the law of Moses intentionally, if you willingly sin against God, what happens to you? You die without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. If you sin intentionally on the Old Testament, there is no remedy for you. You're doomed to destruction because you have sinned against a holy and a righteous God. Amen? I, one time I was talking about that, and then a believer came to me afterward, and he started arguing with me because he could not believe that the sacrifices in the Old Testament was meant for unintentional sin. He's like, well, you know, I thought the sacrifices in the Old Testament was meant for whoever sins. Then they just can have a sacrifice and move on. No, 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 no. The sacrifices in the Old Testament is only for unintentional sins. Amen. Well, I have some bad news for you. You ready for some bad news? Jesus is the same. God is the same. God said, I change not, right? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? The same God who never tolerated sin in the Old Testament is still alive and well. And one soon, you're going to stand before him. This is not good, right? Because God has not changed the fact that God is being patient doesn't mean he's tolerating sin. Doesn't mean that he's okay with the life of sin. Doesn't mean that he's just let it go because he has changed. God has not changed. The same God in the Old Testament who never offered a way out if you intentionally broke his law is still alive and well. And one day every single person who intentionally broke the law of God is going to stand before him and there will be no sacrifice ever left for them. Amen? God will judge sin. You hear me? God will judge sin. But number two, the lesson we learn is that all have sinned. I mean, look back at the story. The priests sinned, right? The rulers sinned. The nation sinned. The common person sinned, right? Everybody sins in that story, in the regulation of the sin offering, right? Doesn't that resemble what we say in the, the New Testament? Romans 3.23, for how many have sinned? All. All have sinned and have fallen short before the glory of God. Well, let's, let's recap then. If God is going to judge sin and we all have sinned, then how many of us are going to escape the judgment of God? Nobody. Right? That includes you. Nobody includes you. Amen? But... We learn something as well here. 
from that story, for that, from that regulation, these regulations. That the more you know, the more you're responsible, right? Yeah. I mean, God said if a common person sinned, they just can't bring a lamb or a goat. I'm, I'm cool with that. But if it's the priest, they should bring a bull. Why? Because the priest should know better. Right? The priest is more familiar with the law of God and they should know better. And because they should know better, they are required, required more is required from their hands. Amen? Now, that's not good news for me as your pastor, of course. <laughs> I'm definitely going to be held to higher standards. You guys, in a way, pay me so I can have time on hand to study God's word and, you know, do all of that stuff. So, but, you know, the more you know about God and his word, the more you're responsible you are. Amen? Now, let me narrow that to one uh, specific application. We were just saying a couple of weeks ago that is, there is 2.9 billion people still in the world today who have never heard the gospel. They don't never heard about Jesus yet. Amen? But there's a lot of people here, maybe here in the church or maybe here in America, who have heard the gospel so many times. Amen? Especially if you come here, you know that every week I tell you about the cross of Christ. I tell you about his love. I tell you about his salvation. Amen? But if the more you know and the many times you hear about the gospel, if you reject it after it has been offered to you multiple, multiple, multiple times, then guess what? There is a severer judgment and higher expectation from you because you heard it not once, not twice, but multiple times, and you intentionally continued on rejecting the love of God that he has shown us on the cross. Amen? Amen. The more you know, the more you are going to be accountable. I don't start my conversation with, when I go out and share the gospel and talk with people, I usually don't start my conversation with them this way, but I probably should. I was like, I should start and say, I don't care if you're going to listen to me or not, or not, or uh, listen to me or not in the next 10 minutes, but the fact that you're going to let me talk to you, your eternity has changed once and for all, whether you like it or not. Amen. Because if you obey the message I'm telling you, then you're going to be saved. And if you don't obey it, then there is a severe judgment waiting for you as before the time you have talked to me. Amen? This is not good, but it's true, right? Yeah. So if you're here today, if you heard the gospel multiple times and you keep saying no to Jesus, don't do it. God will judge sin. This is no question about it. We all have sinned. The gospel is the only way. The more you say no to Jesus, the harder the punishment will be in the end. Amen? Romans 2.5. This is the New Testament application from that text. This is what Paul said. But because of your what? Stubbornness. Your refusal. And your unrepented heart. What do you do? You are storing up Wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when the righteous just judgment of God will be revealed. Do you see what Paul is saying here? Yeah. Paul is saying you have a bank account. And every time you say no to the love of God, every time you refuse to re repent, you put more money in that bank account. Amen? And the larger the bank account at the end, the larger the wrath of God will be. This is not good news. Amen? So why do it? The more you know... The more judgment, the more responsible you will be. Amen? Listen, number four. We see that the sacrifice that has to be offered has to be without blemish. Look, 
we can see different sacrifices in that story, right? You can bring a bull, you can bring a goat, you can bring a, 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 a lamb, you can bring anyone you want, but the all common denominator between all these sacrifices is they have to be what? Without blemish, no sin in it. And isn't that a picture of Jesus, right? 1 Peter 1, 18, 19, we talked about this in the past. For you know that it was not with perishable, the things that you've been redeemed with. It is not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed, by which you were redeemed from your empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors. But with what? With the precious blood of Christ. What kind of lamb is he? He's a lamb without blemish and without spot. He's the sinless, spotless Lamb of God who died on the cross for our sins and he took our sins. Amen? I mean, that's the whole point. As if, 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 if a sinner brings to God a sinful, broken sacrifice, then there is no merit in it. This, this sacrifice needs help itself, right? But the whole point is this, that the sinner bring a sinless sacrifice to God and say, God, it's as if my sin is being transferred to that sinless sacrifice, and now I can live because that innocent, sinless sacrifice will take my place. Amen? And that's literally what happened on the cross. The sinless Lamb of God took our sin so we can live. Amen? But not only that, not it's only without blemish, but that the, the sinner will lay his hand on the sacrifice, right? And in a way, it's as if the sin is being transfer, transferred from the sinful person to the sinless sacrifice. Amen? Amen? We see multiple incidences about that in the scripture, how Jesus took our sins upon himself. Let's read. Isaiah 53, 6, we all like sheep have gone astray, each one to his own way, but the Lord has done what? Has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He put it on him. Jesus bore it on our behalf. Amen. Hebrews 9, 28, so Christ having been offered once to do what? To bear sins, the sins of Many. That's why he did on the cross. He bore the sins of many when he died on the cross. Your sins and my sins. Amen. First Peter 2.24. He himself did what? Bore our sins in his body on the tree. Amen. And just like the sinner will lay his hand on the sin, sinless sacrifice, so Jesus, the sinless Lamb of God, took our place and bore our sins on the, on the cross. Amen. But you also kill the bull before the Lord. That's verse 4. He said, kill it at the entrance of the tabernacle of meeting. Why? Because there is an innocent blood need to be shed so sinful people can be forgiven before God. Amen? Amen. Hebrews 9.22. In fact, the Lord requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no what? forgiveness remissions of sin that's why in the sin offering the sinner has to bring a lamb and kill it and shed it blood before the Lord because without that blood the sinner even though his sin is unintentional he has no hope to be forgiven before God amen it's only the blood of the innocent sacrifice that forgives sins amen so the kill you kill the bull but number uh, seven that should be the blood. The blood to be taken into the presence of God. That's verses 5 and 6. We see that in the ritual, right? When, when the sacrifice is killed, the priest takes the blood and go into the holy place. So the blood, they use that blood to enter into the presence of God. And that's literally 
what Jesus has done on the cross. Hebrews 9, 23 to 24. It was optional. That's no option here. When it's necessary, this is not optional. Amen? It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things. That's the actual tabernacle of Moses. The copies of the heavy th heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifice than these. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands like the priest in the Old Testament that was only a copy of the true one. But he entered into heaven itself, not even without blood, with his own blood now to appear before us, before God. Amen? Amen. So just like the priest takes the blood and go into the holy place, Jesus also, through his blood, entered into the holy place before us as our priest. Amen? Amen. And he cleansed. That heavenly places by his blood, the author of Hebrews says, right? What does that mean? It's a, it's a difficult scripture. I think the simplest way to understand it is this. The tabernacle was the place, the holy place in the Old Testament. It was the place where God and man can meet together, right? So in a way, the author of Hebrews is saying, in the New Testament, we don't have a physical tabernacle. I don't think heaven will be cleansed per se. But it's that place of communion between God and man has been cleansed. Now a holy God and a, and a, and a, and a sinful man can communicate. It's all based on what Jesus has done for us. Amen? Amen. So the priests take the blood into the holy place. But number two... The blood works in how many altars? Two altars, right? The blood is to be applied on the incense altar inside the holy place. And the blood is to be poured at the bottom of the brazen altar in the yard, right? Now the incense altar is, we'll talk, if the Lord gives us a chance, we'll talk about that later in detail. But that's a representation of prayer. Incense in the scripture, like prayer, right? In the book of Revelation, what is this incense? It's the prayer of the saints, right? So incense is a representation of prayer. So in a way, what, what the author of Hebrews is telling us this. The incense altar that represent us communicating with God, having a fellowship or a relationship with God. The bronze altar outside, that's where they burn the sacrifices. That's where the fire of God is burning all the time. That's a representation of the wrath and the judgment of God. Amen? So these are the meanings of these two altars. And the, the Bible in Leviticus chapter 4 tells us that the blood of Jesus works on both altars. Amen? He works on the wrath of God like the brazen altar. And he calms the wrath on our behalf. So the, the judgment of God can pass over us. Amen? Amen? Where do we get that from? We get it from Romans 3.25. Whom God has put forward as a... Propitiation as an atonement. How? By his blood. The blood of Jesus is the wrath of God over sin. Amen? But not only that, our very communication with God, that incense altar, is also based on the blood of Jesus. Amen? Where we get that from? Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, we have what? Confidence to enter into the holy place and talk to God. How? By the blood of Jesus. Amen? So the altar works in both, uh, the, the blood works in both altars. But number nine, the fat of the, burned, uh, of the sin offering is to be burned on the altar just like the peace offering. What does that tell us? That tells us that 
we can only have peace with God. This is the common thing. In a way, I feel like God is saying, you can never have peace with me. Because the sin offering and the peace offering are linked together. The fat of each sacrifice need to be burned, right? On the altar. So God is saying, forgiveness of sin, being justified before me, and having peace with me is so linked together that it's absolutely impossible that you can have peace with me unless your sins are forgiven and you are justified before me. Amen? And we get two blessings. These two blessings, we get them through the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have what? Peace. peace. It's because we have been justified by faith. That's how we have peace with God. Amen? Amen. And the, when Jesus died on the cross, he forgave our sins. He justified us before a holy and a righteous God. And now we have peace with God who were once enemies with him. Amen? Number 10, the body of that burned offering need to be burned outside the camp, right? God said you burn the fat on the altar and everything else you take, not in the camp, not outside the tabernacle. Not outside the tabernacle, outside the camp, right? So not just outside the tabernacle, find a place where people live and burn it. You need to go way, way, way out the camp and in a clean place and then you burn it there, Amen. We talked about this in details when we talked about how we're sanctified by the blood. But this is the scripture for it, Hebrews 13, 11. For the bodies, here's what the author of Hebrews says. For the bodies of the beasts or the animals uh, whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as a sin offering, that's the day of atonement, are burned where? Outside the camp. So the sin offering is pretty much the same. The only difference is on the day of atonement, you take it to the Holy of Holies. Any other day, you just take it to the holy place. Amen? Amen. Are burned outside the camp. Wherefore, where Jesus, what? Also, in like manner, in the same way that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. What did he do? He suffered outside the gate, outside the camp. We talked about this in detail, right? Do you remember what we said? We said God dwells in that camp. And because Jesus is a representation of our sin, he has to be kicked out from the presence of God. Amen? And he has to suffer for our sins outside the camp so we can have a relationship with God. Amen? Amen. In other words, Jesus needed to be excluded so we can be included. Amen? Let me repeat that again. Jesus need to be, needed to be excluded from the presence of God so we can be included into the presence of God. Amen? Amen. Do you see that? What an amazing chapter, right? Every small detail in that sacrifice is absolutely crazy foundational to our New Testament theology. Amen? Amen. Why don't we come before the Lord and thank him for that sin offering, the perfect sin offering that he has done for us on the cross.